Midwest Football Podcast, episode 14. Starting this week, we're going to recap the offseason and preview training camp for each of our eight Midwestern teams. The Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. We'll also have a guest with us for each episode who's a specialist on one of the two teams we'll be talking about that week. But first, I'm Joe Smith, a Detroit native and published sports journalist coming to you live from my hometown where pizza buys baseball teams. And this is my friend and broadcast partner, a Chicago native and professional data analyst, Brian Rosenquist. Hello, Midwest Landers and friends. Uh, coming to you from a sunny 100 degree San Antonio day. And I want to point out it's 100 degrees. It's 8 p.m. So it's cooled off since it, you know earlier in the day. But what else is also cooled off is the love for Wemby because he did not have a great summer day debut in Las Vegas. Everyone's panicking. And the biggest highlight was apparently one of his security guards assaulted Britney Spears. So at least we're in the news. I don't understand how your shoes aren't melting to the sidewalk when you walk, but apparently Wemby is melting under pressure also. That's a nice. (laughs) That is a mess. But all right. Both Lions fans are in the house today for our Detroit coverage that we're going to be kicking off with. If you've been listening to our podcast since the beginning, you've heard Brian talk about his Lions fan friend, Tony. Today, you get to hear from him. He's a Walmart Wolverine capable of critical thought, and that's an accomplishment in and of itself. Midwest Landers, I give you our first ever guest on the Midwest Football Podcast, Tony Hunt. Hey, glad to be here. It's nice to be called a specialist. My mom told me I was special my whole life, so now I can take that to uh, to the rest of the world. This is Baseball All-Star Week, which is probably the slowest sports news week of the entire year. Rather than try to find news stories for the NFL that are mostly speculation right now, we're going to take our time with our season previews. Our podcast won't be getting any longer, but we'll be digging deep on two of our eight teams each week. If you like our banter, hopefully you'll enjoy some of our friends of the show, too. We're starting this week with the trendiest team in the whole NFL this season. If you joined us last week, then you heard us talk about the curse of Bobby Lane and the 55, 60 years of untold misery that Lions fans have lived through over the last longer than most Lions fans have been alive. It has just been an unbelievable amount of pain that we hope to heal because as we come into this season, the Lions, they are the betting favorite in the NFC North and one of the trendiest picks to join the elite of the division and the entire conference also. But one of the things that we didn't get to because the segment was already dragging along was I think the curse of Bobby Lane might be history. So what makes you think it's over? Is it because the sun god is shining anew? Or is it because the macho man Danny Campbell's bringing uh, the WWE-style coaching in a championship? I think I can help answer that, Brian. I think when Dan Campbell hit the pants and all the dust came out, you know all the losing is gone now. And there was no more dust in those pants. So therefore, the ashes of Bobby Lane that he put on those pants are gone. <laughs> so you're saying he beat the curse out of the Lions. Got it. That makes sense. That feels very Dan Campbell. I actually think that the conditions of the curse that Bobby Lane himself laid down have been met. Let me explain. 50 years of losing? Well, check. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. The exact quote, remember, was with management like that, the Lions won't win for 50 years. 
50 years was the exact amount of time that William Clay Ford owned the team from the time he got complete control until his death. That was 50 years. And they didn't win during that time. They won a playoff yes, game. No, wait. Yeah, they won one. One. Yep. Yeah. Okay. The other quote was, I want to win a title for Pittsburgh and one for myself to shove down Detroit's throat. Well, we know that he didn't win a title directly with Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh did win Super Bowl 40 in Detroit to shove down <laughs> the lot to shove That's down fair. the Lions' throats. And here's the wild one. There was also one for himself or an extension of himself, if you think about it. Bobby Lane, I mentioned, started his career in Texas. He was a baseball player and football player for the University of Texas Longhorns. Going back earlier than that, he went to Highland Park High School in Texas, Dallas area. Dallas. Yeah, it's in Dallas. You know who else went to Highland Park High School and broke all of his passing records? Mr. Matthew Stafford. Yes. Mm. You mean Super Bowl champion, future Hall of Famer, Matthew Stafford. That's the one. Who will go in as a ram. (laughs) (laughs) So the Lions got this quarterback from Bobby Lane's alma mater, first overall, treated him right on the way out, and he got a title. Hmm. There's one more piece I think you can add to that. Is going back to the ownership and management. Technically, the current owner doesn't actually have a Ford last name. That's true. Her name is Sheila Hamp, and I I think they throw the Ford in there. But it's Sheila Hamp, and so therefore, (laughs) no Fords. That is true. All right. So Bears take note. Brian and I have talked more than once about how important ownership is to an organization. And if the ownership is bad, nothing will be good. I don't think it's a coincidence that this is the first time the Lions seem to have both a competent head coach and a competent general manager at the same time. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I still even remember when they hired Campbell. I was like, wait, the tight end coach or something from New Orleans? But he's been pretty good. I kind of want to run through a brick wall myself when I'm listening to him talk. You know, I know that. I had a long conversation with Brian when he was hired and I said, how could you not even interview urban Meyer? That guy just wins. And I thought that's going to be the biggest mistake we ever made. And boy, was I wrong. Oh, Jags. <laughs> I, thought, Jags. <laughs> I, I do remember though. I thought there was a lot of controversy because Robert Sala was hired by the jets and he was from, I think Dearborn, Michigan. Like he grew up right by the stadium. So there was a lot of talk like, why didn't we hire this guy? Wasn't he from like a, the Niners tree or something like that? Yep. He was the like, defensive coordinator. Yeah. So people thought that he should have been the guy. I thought that was a lot of uh, sour grapes. Aside. Uh, was the Urban Meyer thing a serious thing or a joke? Based on what we no, that was, that was uh, serious as a heart attack. Yeah. I, I really thought that they should have at least interviewed him, right? They didn't even give him a chance. And it was like, the guy's won everywhere he's went, right? That's true. Can you imagine if you followed up Matt Patricia with that version of Urban Meyer? Oof. That would have restarted the curse of Bobby Lane. <laughs> curse of Matt Patricia. <laughs> I mean, Dan Campbell is made for the media. You listen to his media days and it sounds like a pro wrestling promo. He may have beat the dirt out of the pants, but you know, there were no kneecaps spared. We know he is the funnest coach in the NFL. 
this is the year that we're going to find out, is he one of the best in the NFL? So when you're talking about his WWE like promo abilities, I want to see the Eagles play the Lions in the NFC Championship game just so I can hear Jason Kelsey talk like a promo wrestler to uh, Dan Campbell. Like it would just be a perfect, I don't know, just two guys going at it. And I feel like then the WWE could capitalize on it after the offseason and bring him in for a cage match. I'd also pay to see that. I'd, I'd do a pay-per-view for that. Well, you got the Lions, who are the only team to have existed every year of the Super Bowl era to have not gone to one. But there is no locker room and coaching staff in the NFL right now like the Lions. The coaching staff is lined with not just guys that were in the NFL, but stars in the NFL that stuck around. They have just this unbelievable ability to relate and coach up players, you know, the gambling stuff aside, on the not football parts of the NFL lifestyle. By the time you get to the end of the season, they seem like a really close-knit group, and those are the intangibles you really want on a football team. Just going back a second, I think you said they're the only Super Bowl-era team that existed the whole time that didn't make one. I don't think the Browns have made one either. But they didn't exist for three or four years. Oh, I completely they... forgot the relocation aspect. Okay, good point. Good point. You, you Nice. Okay. Yeah, so what you're saying about um, the close-knit, this is interesting too, especially because they had a lot of uh, controversy, suspensions, players cut from the gambling stuff. And it still doesn't seem like it's really affected the gambling odds, ironically, for them to win the division and possibly <laughs> go far. <laughs> you know, we'll have to ask Jamison Williams that. Because <laughs> like too soon, I don't know. Yeah, well, because the thing about Jamison Williams is he still hasn't really played. Like we covered this a couple weeks ago, he had one catch for eight forty yards of touchdown and one run for forty yards of touchdown, which is pretty good efficiency until you bring in the fact that he had nine balls thrown to him and he only caught one of them. And I think he had another ball caught that either went really long or for a touchdown that was called back. There was one called back, something yeah. like that. But I think basically he scored three touchdowns and only two of them counted. <laughs> on like three or four balls, mm-hmm. yeah. So we'll see. But do we want to get on to the offseason acquisitions and continue? And, yeah, and let's wrap preview? up for our gentle listeners what happened with the Lions this offseason. Spoilers, it was busy. Yeah, they're one of the busiest ones, so... They started with their secondary. They added Cam Sutton from Pittsburgh and Manuel Mosley at cornerback, along with C.J. Gardner-Johnson from safety from the Eagles. And then they also added Marvin Jones, who returned Starvin Marvin back from Jacksonville. And then they hammered the running back position by getting David Montgomery from the Bears and a controversial pick in the first round, Jameer Gibbs, along with Jack Campbell. And then Sam Laporta, tight end, in the second round, along with Brian Branch from Alabama at safety. They added four secondary members and also added uh, Hendon Hooker in the third round at quarterback. Tony, what did you think of the Jameer Gibbs draft pick? So I uh, wanted to puke and throw my chair all at the same time when that call was made. I was like, what are we doing? And after the smoke settled, the dust settled, I, uh, I started thinking more about it, and I, and I realized that Jameer Gibbs is, is less a running back and more of a slot receiver that can also run the ball. And as the NFL evolves and you have players like Debo Samuel, you have players like Cordell Patterson, right, who is now a running back who came into the NFL as a wide receiver, like this is a skill set that is important in today's NFL. And, and knowing that, 
And seeing what the point behind it was, my blood pressure went down (laughs) and I was able to breathe and accept it. Does that mean I think it was the good pick or the right pick? I can't really argue that point still, but uh, at the time, yeah, I was ready to throw a chair through the TV. Yeah, I was not happy at it. I believe Brian's comment went because we were texting back and forth at the time was it's a good thing we're not on the air doing a live react. <laughs> we had talked about it. I'm glad we didn't do it. No, because we would have been off the air. Yeah, right. It just been all cut. Yeah, mm-hmm. all cut. Yeah, I'll cut all that. It's like, what did lightning hit the studio? Why is there four <laughs> minutes of blank space? I hear a because lot of beeps. if we aired it, it would sound like a test of the emergency broadcast system. <laughs> I, just I have to. I have a funny anecdote about this. I was at a bar watching the draft with some friends, and there was an Atlanta Falcons fan. And when the Bijan Robinson at eight was picked, the dude fell on the floor and threw a beer bottle across the room. Then twelve comes along, and Jameer Gibbs is picked, and he gets up and he goes, "Well, at least we're not the dumbest team in the league." And I, and that's how I felt. Like, it was, yeah. So it was, it was kind of funny. I feel like you made that story up. I don't believe you met a Falcons fan. There are Falcons fans. Yeah. Were, were you in Atlanta? I was. I was near Atlanta. Very near. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, we, there, we know Falcons fans from our South Carolina. Well, my South Carolina days. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's funny though, because uh, I, I kind of agree with Tony's sentiment. Like. When it happened, I was like, what are they doing? Like, I think who's that guy I really liked that uh, was drafted by this uh, Tampa, the defensive tackle. I think he would have been really good. Um, I can't, his name is slipping my head because it's been a while since I've followed the draft, especially for defensive tackles. I'm more fantasy football mode at this point. But then I felt like Gibbs might have been available at 18, you know, but. And like that was my issue with the draft is I felt like Gibbs could have been taken at 18, Campbell could have been taken in the second round, Laporta could have been taken next, etc. The problem, the thing is, I will say the one guy that I don't think was a reach was Brian Branch. I thought that was an awesome pickup, in my opinion. He was the number one ranked safety on most boards, and to have him as your fourth pick of the draft is highway robbery. So if you were just like reorder and you put branch first and then you draft in the next size, I would be like, this was an awesome draft and it's the same player. So it's, it comes down to semantics too, but also positional value because the way you play the pay the players, which we talked about on previous episodes, but ultimately one thing I did hear when I was listening to, um, I think it was the PFF podcast the other day, shout out. Um, they mentioned the Lions draft, and it's a weird thing because the knock is their first four players drafted were non-glamour positions. But Detroit put themselves in a position to do that because they already knocked out the offensive tackles, right? Both left and right-hand side, uh, Decker and Payne Sewell. You have your Ragnow at center. You have your quarterback filled for whatever, however you feel about golf. We can talk about that in a second. Um, you have Almon Ross St. Brown, Jamison Williams. You know, you have Aiden Hutchinson at defensive end and even Houston, right? So you guys basically already have strengths at the premier positions already. So it does give the Lions flexibility to just go at it because, I mean, if Bijan wasn't in this draft, Jameer Gibbs might be considered the top running back prospect in three or four years. Campbell was definitely the best linebacker. Branch, best safety, as I mentioned earlier. In Laporta, he's arguably at least a top three tight end in a draft class where I think the third best tight end in this draft class would have been the best in the previous two. There's a lot good to say about the Lions draft. Once you kind of unpackage the preconceptions of what positions you should be 
drafting if you just make it about getting good players. But I do want to talk about the change of the guard at running back overall. Jameer Gibbs is certainly a part of it, but they also went and got David Montgomery, which I've seen in a lot of places as a downgrade from Jamal Williams, and I'm not sure that's the case. I completely disagree with that. I mean, he is more elusive. He breaks more tackles. He's not as hard of a runner necessarily, but he gets more tough yards. The thing that that I've seen that it goes back and forth is whether or not Chicago actually had a good offensive line last year or not, or was it fields or was it the line or was it both? And, and therefore it was statistically his worst year last year of his four year career. Right. But he also was sharing a lot more carries with uh, Cleo Herbert and he had fields running the ball as well. So the load wasn't on him as much. And I think he still has a lot more left in the tank. Right. And so again, just the fact the way he runs, and the the breaking tackles is going to be is going to be a a better version of Jamal Williams and maybe not 17 touchdown season but still pretty good go ahead i also think he was a little banged up last year i think he was playing hurt especially when Her- herbert was playing well he kind of rushed back from injury cuz if you remember he missed some games early and herbert kind of went off early in the fantasy season and he also is um much better pass catcher than Jamal Williams so he adds that versatility to that Yeah, to me, I think a lot of this is an indictment of DeAndre Swift and his inability to stay on the field. There was even a quote at some point in the middle of last season from the coaching staff that was pretty thinly veiled about the difference between being injured and being hurt. Mm -hmm. I agree. DeAndre Swift, I got the impression that the team just didn't feel like they could trust him to stay healthy for more than three to five touches a game. And if you're going to do that, you can't, you can't pay that guy. Can't play running back either. That's Those right. guys should be getting 10, 15, 20 carries a game. The good ones get better as the game goes on. Right. So. And the way you described it too, Gibbs basically is a non head case version of Deandre Swift. And I, I agree with Tony's sentiment. I think Montgomery is a better all around running back than Jamison Williams. And I just think, you guys already had a really good backfield last year, and it, it was improved. I think it was just better, my opinion. Um, what's your take on the revamped uh, secondary? Because you guys lost Jeff Okuda to a trade. You also lost to Sean Elliott at safety, but you brought in Sam Cam Sutton, Emmanuel Mosley, CJ Carter-Johnson, and Brian Branch to replace them. Yeah, so I'll, I want to start with the Sean. So Jeff Okuda is a tragic story real quick because I actually liked him. I think he's a good player. I think the cards were stacked against him and he had an uphill battle even this year. And and towards the end of the season, I think he was also getting dinged up and was playing through some stuff. And it showed because he, his grades just kept plummeting every game. Go into Deshaun Elliott for just a moment. That guy is going to be a bigger loss than maybe we care to believe. He was the number two leading tackler on the team behind Alex Anzalone only. Played in the box, five tackles for losses, forced fumbles, you know, always around the football. And and he also only played 14 games. So you think about, you know, the second leading tackler missing three games. That's that's actually pretty impressive, right? It's not good when it's coming from a safety spot, but he's in the box safety, so it's a little different. Mm, but yeah. I mean, like, he was a really good all-around player, and I think that's going to be missed. Now, I think we did a good job backfilling that. But at the time, you know, you heard that as like, that was kind of a bummer for me. Not necessarily an upgrade, but they're throwing volume at it. Because I know, like you said, 
Okuda did start off the season pretty well, but then he kind of regressed as the season went on and he's been injured most of his career. And honestly, it's surprising to hear a Michigan fan talk good about a Buckeye, who, especially a Buckeye who's a bust for your NFL team. Let's be honest. So wish you luck in yeah. Atlanta. It hurts. It hurts in the inside when I say those things. <laughs> <laughs> Gives me pleasure. I do feel like this is a much improved secondary for the Lions. I totally with you on Okuda. We talked about that in previous episodes of the podcast. They're on YouTube. You can find them, guys. So we're not going to rehash that. But I'm also not sure that they're exactly throwing volume at safety. Remember, we talked about the Vikings putting out a new three safety look. We're going to talk actually a little bit about Pittsburgh, too. And the Lions might be updating what they do to be more versatile and use that third safety as a roamer and sometimes blitzer and sometimes deep cover guy. You know, it's interesting too. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and kind of facetiously say a key acquisition this year is going to be Tracy Walker. Now, Tracy Walker, we lost him in week three, right? Tracy Walker was our number one safety last year who was on a tear to start the season. He tore his Achilles, right? And he should be back for the start of camp. And that's going to be a really big part. And going back to the the um, multiple safety look, I mean, having, you know, as long as he comes back okay, that's a big deal. For those of you really quick who have not heard about the three safety look, or basically what it is, is a third safety takes the place of one of the three linebackers in a traditional 4-3 look which gives a little bit more and then plays in the box which gives a little bit more run support for uh than you would have with a pure nickel defense where it was three corners and two safeties but not quite as much as say a traditional four three where you're looking for things to get pounded well that makes sense because if that's the plan because um, obviously that's what CJ Garner Johnson is known for when he's Philadelphia and stuff. And then I watched a lot of game film of Brian branch last year. Uh, and he did that a lot. He did a lot of Romer. He saw him in the box a lot. Sometimes he'd bail out free safety, but he kind of was used as an extra linebacker for Alabama a lot. So it makes sense that you guys add a guy in free agency and in the draft that, that is covers that versatile role. So I'll be kind of curious to see how that goes. And it makes a lot of sense for the days NFL where nickelbacks, the underrated part about them, people just think they're small cornerbacks who can't cover outside guys, but they're also asked to do a lot more run defense. So it actually makes sense to convert safeties into that role, especially when you bring them into linebacker. There was a time where that was the case, where nickel corners were guys that couldn't cut it as an outside corner, but now that's too important of, of a position. There's too many teams that attack that part of the field directly. So speaking of uh, the cornerbacks and nickels and who they cover, you guys also underrated revamping of the wide receiver core because you guys lost DJ Chark, brought back Marvin Jones, and you're bringing in this new guy uh, named Jamison Williams halfway through the season. And uh, do you guys think that's going to be an upgrade to the wide receivers? I know. um, What's your take on the loss of DJ Chark? So, yeah, DJ Chark's interesting because I'm going to, throw out a couple weird stats so week 18 dj chark missed three games with the i think it was a hamstring injury or something in the middle of the season week 18 comes around he has a monster game three catches for 14 yards one long of nine well huge now, huge game right game no changer. no touch yeah um but but if we boil all that down 
if you watch the the game ceiling play of that game in Lambo, that was going to one player and one player only. That was DJ Chark all the way. He was a four yard pass. He catches the ball, first down, game's over, right? So I watched a lot of lines because, well, you know, and DJ Chark may not have had great stat lines, but if you watch the way what he was doing and what he meant to the offensive scheme, it was a lot more than his stat line may have showed. And he had he had a couple good games throughout the season. He ended up with 500 yards, I think, and three touchdowns. It wasn't that wasn't that you know spectacular, but um, but he had a few decent decent games, and uh, it was mainly because oh, I, I should say this too. There was a couple games where. There were clearly plays that were scripted for him that they just missed on him and Goff just missed. And if you get a little bit more time on that, he doesn't get any nicked up early in the season. Those are big plays too, right? And that you, you get back. And so I think losing him was big, but they have a lot of chemistry with some of the other guys. We got Khalif Raymond and we got, we got uh, and Marvin Jones comes back. I know he doesn't have the, the chemistry with Goff, but we have uh, Josh Reynolds who has just built more chemistry with Goff as the years went on. So. I was just going to add that DJ Chark did miss the first half of the season. So when you say five, 500 yards and three touchdowns, that would have projected for more like 900 yards and five touchdowns, which would have been a pretty good season, especially considering he missed the first half where he didn't get on chance to get on page with golf and he still played well down the stretch, like you were saying. Tony, do you think that Amon Ross St. Brown is a true elite wide receiver that can cover faults of other people in the receiving core? So, yeah, if I had to put him in a tier, I would put him in just outside the top 10, but maybe 11 or 10, if that makes sense, right? I'm not just saying that as a homer. I do think he's that good. Point being, if you watch towards the end of the season, one of the things that Cooper Cup is so special is he's always open, right? He just finds holes. He just gets open. Not quick. He's not fast. He's just good. And that's you see that same trait with Amon Ross St. Brown. He's just always open. He makes tough catches. He doesn't score a lot of touchdowns, but he's always putting together great chain-moving plays, right? And I think that's so valuable to make the rest of the engine hum, right? You got to have that guy that he might not blow the top off the defense. He's not going to house a 70-yard touchdown. I don't think he's ever done that since he's been in the league. But, you know, you're going to get that production that you need for the rest of the team to be successful. What's your take on him, Joe? I'm actually a little bit higher on him than Tony is. I think he's absolutely uncoverable one-on-one in the NFL. He knows his routes. He is hyper accurate. He has a deceptive size and speed. He's not going to exactly be, you know, neck and neck with Jamison Williams going down the field on deep balls, but he doesn't have to because he can run anything 15 yards and shorter that you want. So is he elite? I think yes, if he's on a team that knows how to use him intelligently in a system that plays to his strengths. So I think I'm even higher on him than you guys are as the non-Lions fan. I just want to point out too, I agree with you. He's not known for making the big plays and say it was Cooper Cup, but they still do. He has longs of 49-yard catch and a 58-yard run last year, which is pretty explosive in my opinion. And also, he was the number two graded receiver by PFF last year behind only Tyreek Hill, just ahead of all-world stud Justin Jefferson. That's pretty elite territory, to be honest. You know, Tony, you have him outside your top 10. That's that's kind of a slap in the face. But um, the, as a Bears fan, we will trade you his <laughs> brother, Equinemius St. Brown, straight up for you if you're a little down on him since you hate him so much. We'll have to throw in a first for that. 
There's no oh. way we're going to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because we had to sign into a future contract extension. So you got to pay us the extra. First. Right. I agree with you. <laughs> I think on the defensive side of the ball, the Lions are looking to be better. The big worry that I have here is the run stopping. To me, the biggest hot seat for the Lions is somebody like, you know, guys is on their last chance, like Levi Anzarike. Yeah. Oh, he was one of the second or third round picks from a couple of years ago, right? The Penicillin Drive. Really the biggest, you're right, really the biggest blemish on the draft record because it was a guy with a history of back problems that I don't think has played a regular season down well, in two years. Actually, his rookie season, uh, he actually had really high draft grades, uh, not draft grades, play grades when he was playing. He was actually pretty successful. It's that mid after the season, he went into the back surgery in, uh, issue. He uh, it just never recovered from it. And and that I agree with you about a blemish, but you remember we, he was a second round pick that the Lions had to hold themselves back from moving back into the first round to get. He had that kind of talent, and he did play his rookie season. He actually was pretty good when he was on the field. It's just that back things are a mess, right? Especially when you're a big boy. Yeah, he he has to play hard this season in camp and not look like Frankenstein's monster. Joe, I wanted to ask you, speaking of that, what do you think about Aline McNeil cutting down all the weight and as a as more of a pass rush specialist now in the center of the, the defense, right? I don't know if you've seen that yet. Well, the Lions have been looking for an interior pass rusher since this regime came in. I mean, that was why they drafted on Mazurki. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to me, I think it's a sign that they're not expecting him to uh, Levi to make the cut and now they're trying to get it from somebody else yeah yeah Ali McNeil he actually has cut 13 percent body fat this offseason and he's uh dedicated yeah but he's still gonna play at about 325 for the last 10 games of the season he was PFF's highest uh uh, most quarterback pressures for a guy over 320 pounds in their history of their analysis and he just looks like he's just gonna get better in his third season so I'm pretty excited about that And, and that goes back to losing Levi is a bummer but if you have guys that are becoming professionals and stepping up hopefully we can fill some of those roles now i will agree with you on the the run stopping however i feel like the the defense getting better safeties and putting emphasis on like jack campbell and linebacking core is should help with some of that pressure of stopping the run i hope (laughs) right it makes sense that the that if you're having trouble stopping the run but you believe in your defensive linemen that you would invest in positions like safeties and linebackers, which are relatively affordable to do right now. Yep. Offensive line has gotten at least has held the same. They already had a great offensive line. They welcome back Graham Glasgow. That's a big addition. I mean, if I can say a moment here, there has been quite a run of players that Matt Patricia ran off the lions that are coming back under this regime. Guys like Marvin Jones Jr., Graham Glasgow, uh, Jalen Reeves-Maben was special team standout. Just those are the guys I could think of off the top of my head that enjoyed their time with the Lions and liked the city, but just couldn't stand Matt Patricia. Welcome to the club. Like Darius Slay. (laughs) Something like that, although Slay didn't return yet. 
he there was rumors of it, but then Eagles brought backed up the Brinks truck this offseason and kept them. Yeah, that would do it. Offensive skill position. We've talked about the running backs. We talked about the receivers. Everybody, I think Tony, you know, tell me if you really if you're like us and you like Sam Laporta. I think you do. Yeah, I love Sam Laporta. I mean, and, and it looks like from what what little bit of minicamp they've done and 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 uh, rookie minicamp and OTAs, uh, uh, he's the real deal. Uh, one of the funny articles I read coming out of uh, minicamp was that he made Jack Campbell look silly for two days straight, right? And he was basically uncoverable by anybody else on that field, and that was pretty exciting. Hmm. Context, okay. Yeah. <laughs> When, because we were, I was hearing the negative reports coming out of camp on Campbell, but I wasn't hearing for whatever reason that basically it was Sam Laporta taking him to school. What was it that you were telling me about watching Laporta in Iowa against Michigan in the Big yep. Ten title game a couple of years ago? Yep, Big Ten title game 2001. Uh, I remember watching Sam Laporta and being the only guy doing anything, and I kept saying, how can you not cover that one guy? That's a tight end. And then next, the very next year, his, his senior year, he was just as exciting and efficient. So he was that good. I'd also add, he's also a great Dan Campbell guy because he got injured towards the end of the season. And now in college football, there's a lot of, oh, I got injured. I'm not playing for the national title game. I'm going to sit out the bowl game to keep my draft stock up. But he fought back from injury just to play in what most people would probably consider a meaningless ball game because that's just how much he wanted to be out there with his teammates and he wanted to win. And I think that kind of stuff does translate. Maybe I'm an old school, old man, you know, get off my lawn type guy. But I do like that. And I think Dan Campbell likes that. And I think that tight ends tend to take longer to develop as rookies. But from what I heard about this guy, I think he's going to be one of the quicker to develop ones. And uh, I was telling these guys after my dynasty rookie draft, Laporta was my first love early in the draft for my fantasy draft rookie rankings or evaluations. And I'm like, oh man, I don't draft a four, six, but I could probably get Laporta there. And then the news got out and he drafted like 25 spots ahead of my first draft pick, uh, you know, and I was just like, man, I wish people would wait to know who he was until after I got him on my dynasty team. And then, you know, then let him go. Either way, I'm excited for that. But I wanted to go back a year because he's not listed on the offseason losses. But what's your guys' take on TJ Hawkinson? Are you guys sad he left? Or do you think they should have held on to him or what? I think the Vikings got taken. Your take on Hawkinson was perfect. I love it. Just shorten to the point. I think Minnesota yeah, like, got taken. I agree with that. So let's wrap up our Detroit thing because the Vegas over-under on wins for the Lions this year is nine and a half. If Detroit hits 10 wins in this division, there's a very good chance they win the North and they're going to the playoffs and hosting a playoff game for the first time since the 90s. On defense, you know, if the run is not good, then there's going to be a problem because a bunch of teams in the front part of the schedule are run-heavy teams. But assuming that's okay, this team basically comes down to how much do you believe in Jared Goff? Is Jared Goff for real? Is he the engine of this team? Or is this a team that's been Goff-proof and they're having success despite him or have found a way to minimize his faults. Where are you on the great golf debate, Tony? 
So I, I honestly think it's a mix of both because I do think this offense is golf proofed, but I think he is extremely efficient in that offense. Now I know that sounds kind of Homer, but, but, but no, because when he was the most successful in LA, he had a system that was Todd Gurley running the ball. He had a good offensive line. He hit his receivers and he knew his, he's very good in his progressions, right? That's one thing he's good at is running his progressions. He's not the lead arm talent, but he's kind of a computer. And that's where I think he is successful, which is why I say it's kind of both. It's kind of, this is golf proof, but he's very efficient in that system. Therefore it's actually built for him. I think we end up in the same place, but I think we get there in very different ways. Cause I see golf as the opposite. I think he has above average NFL arm talent and he can make his progressions as long as he feels absolutely no pressure, physical or mental whatsoever. Offensive line for that. Because I feel like as soon as he has to run out of the pocket or he feels pressure uh, from the coaching staff, which was all the time after he got paid in L.A., then for whatever reason, some kind of stupid, you know, T gene kicks in. And that's when he starts throwing his pick sixes, which he didn't do in the second half of the year. I think a large part because he got comfortable. And I mean, the good kind of comfortable. One more thing about the pick sixes is funny you bring that up. And I know we kind of just briefly touched on Hawkinson. Hawkinson, if you look at when he was actually traded, he never threw a pick six after that. And out of the, I think the, four he threw or five he threw four of them are, are almost all but one were thrown to Hawkinson at that time really weird stat go ahead Brian I think you point out Hawkinson is a physical monster but he doesn't necessarily run the right routes all the time and that showed based on that stat the Lions offense was actually better after he left wow I mean it's true but what do you guys think let's start with uh, our guest Tony is the roar restored are the Lions for real this year? Are they going to beat that nine and a half? I would take the over for sure. I don't know if I want to put a number on it, but I would definitely take the over. I do think they get it. I think they exercise it. I think I think they were dangerously close to exercising it last year. I mean, week three, they were a stupid bad play at the end of a Minnesota game in Minnesota where they win that. They, they're up, they're two and one on the season and who knows how it breaks from there, right? So I, I do think, I do think it exercises this year. Brian? I'm going to say that my take, I'll just mix it in with uh, my take on golf is I think that he is rich man's Chad Pennington. If you remember him for the dolphins, he was Pennington was known for being very efficient in the regular season, but he ultimately didn't throw the ball very deep. And I think that golf is going to engine the uh, lions to maybe possibly uh, even 12 wins this year and win the division pretty easily. And, but the limitations come in the postseason when teams start to challenge you to go deep. And that's where you're going to need uh, someone like Jamison Williams to stretch the defense. And you're going to need really, I think golf, it's about um, does he trust to go deep? Because that's where he fell out of LA. He made the Super Bowl. He made a run. He, he shows he can do it. He can win in the postseason. But after that, he just got gunshot. He didn't want to stand in the pocket and throw it deep. And that's what the season's going to come down to. I think the regular season, they're going to be just fine. But the postseason is going to come down to whether or not golf wants to stay in the pocket and push it downfield and, and, you know, challenge the safeties deep and keep the uh, underneath stuff open for Amon Ra and Laporta and the running backs to work. So I feel like it's against my better judgment because I 
so want the Lions to succeed, but I'm so scared of this just does not happen for the Detroit Lions. Somehow they fall on their face. Somehow they get it wiped out. Somehow it gets yanked out from under their nose. But I really feel like this is different. And if Dan Campbell and this coaching staff is as good as we think they are, or we hope they can be, then he's going to take this team of guys who are very, very good at very specific things, build this team into a unit that is bigger than the sum of its parts. And yeah, I think their championship window is beginning this year. Shout out to Brad Holmes. I think he's done a great job as GM building the team for the last few years. Couldn't agree more. A team that has not had the same kind of turnover and tumult, although linked through the curse of Bobby Lane, is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh did just hire a new GM this year, Omar Khan, and he went out and practically you know tore the roof off by pittsburgh standards he signed two offensive guards to, to start and contribute in free agency that just doesn't happen i think that the kenny pickett experiment in year one was a success and with the new gm they're gonna start to uh, build around him yeah so i think that pittsburgh is an interesting team because they kind of New GM, but they kind of continued Pittsburghing the way they normally do, building through the draft. Like, they're you know they added a couple guards, they added a couple linebackers, um, standard trenches, trench warfare, um, but they were kind of value picks, right? The big name was Allen Robinson, who they literally got in a seventh round draft pick swap that is basically free pickup, and then they also added Patrick Peterson to replace Cam Sutton who left for the aforementioned lions. And Peterson had a great season in Minnesota last year. He's not washed up. So that's, that's pretty, pretty good swap out. Um, what I do like in addition to the guards is they took Broderick Jones in the first round of tackle. And I think that's what they badly needed is to upgrade the trenches because other than that off their defense is good and their, their skill positions are very young and very good to be honest. Like, I think it's a team that they didn't need to do much, but tweak the roster. And I think it's more about Pickett showed down the stretch that he could show flashes and he's better than Mitchell Trubisky, which, you know, that's, that's the key to any success. If you're slightly better than Mitchell Trubisky, you're going to win the Super Bowl. (laughs) Oh, wait, sorry. Maybe the standards are a little higher. The real question though, is not, you know, can Pickett, steer the helm of this extremely well-run franchise but look at the quarterbacks in his division there's lamar jackson there's joe burrow there's deshaun watson pickett isn't going to be able to match touchdown bombs and big plays with those guys but can he do enough to compete with those quarterbacks in this division long term that is a really good question. I know he's a first-round draft pedigree, but a lot of people weren't sold on him. Even though he finished the season pretty hot, I still hear a lot of negativity around it to saying he's just a guy. And it'll be interesting because if he's just a guy, I mean, maybe his comp is Kirk Cousins or Jared Goff or maybe worse. You know, I don't, I don't know where that gets you because I do think the Steelers have a really good roster and – it'll be interesting to see if he can take a leap in the year two and year three, or if he just kind of plateaus. Cause I mean, we saw 
Mac Jones show flashes as a rookie and then completely, you know, go backwards. And I think uh, this goes to one of our points is uh, Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator, is probably the one guy in Pittsburgh on the hot seat. And is he going to be able to keep Pickett moving forward or is he going to regress? And 18.1 points per game. And I think that's the big question, you know? So I do think that you're right. How he stacks up against the elite quarterbacks in that division is going to be tough. It's it's going to be hard for anybody to pick him any, anywhere but number four. But the question is, is is number four in the division, He is he the 30th best quarterback in the league or is he the 20th? <laughs> you know, and there's a big difference between average and bad. And I don't know if you guys have any strong feelings on Pickett. But I think he is um, showed flashes as a rookie, and I think he's going to be at least okay this year. Yeah, I, I think that team is, like you said, it's too built to to, you know, not give him a, an adequate shot at this. And and from year two to three, he should show improvement. And you talk about just a guy. I mean, when when this is a bad comp, but when Ben Roethlisberger came out, he was just a guy, right? He was a, you know, max school guy and, you know, not really that, but he came into his own and always had a good team around him. I think it, it, if you put the pieces in place, it's, it's there for him to succeed. I like your point with uh, Roethlisberger because remember the Steelers were in a Super Bowl window with, I believe it was Tommy Maddox and he got injured. And then people were interviewing they're like, well, how do you guys feel about starting a rookie when your guys are, you know, trying to win a Super Bowl? And everyone like openly said, well, I'm not going to lie. I don't care. It's a rookie. We're not going to go anywhere. And then they end up in the Super Bowl pretty recently, pretty quickly. You know, I mean, Roethlisberger made two Super Bowls almost. Or I think he might have been younger than Tom Brady at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm not saying that uh, Pickett's going to be that level. But, you know, I think that he's underrated. And I think that what's interesting will be to see how he progresses because last year he, you know, Trubisky started the season and this can go into the skill positions. But I think that when you talk like the skill positions in fantasy with them, it's really murky because there's basically two Steeler seasons. There was the Roethlisberger or sorry, the Trubisky start, pigeonholed with early picket where he had training wheels on like they didn't let him audible or anything like that they literally it was just look at your one read and throw the ball away if he's not there etc and he did pretty well and they started opening the offense as it goes on and i just think that it'll be interesting to because you still have guys like deontay johnson despite scoring no touchdowns last year so people paid him in fantasy and then george pickens was a human highlight reel and for pat fryermuth might be one of the best um all-around tight ends, and we haven't even talked about Najee or Jalen Warren, the new the new star amongst the data analytics in uh, fantasy football. And the biggest thing to me is that they upgraded the offensive line. I really liked Broderick Jones. He might struggle a little bit as a rookie, but I think that Pittsburgh, maybe they're not in a win-now year. Like This is not like Detroit. I think they want to see progress, despite having the same record as Detroit last year. Yeah. You in let me start again. When we were talking about the Lions, we mentioned that they did a lot to support Goff and make things easy and comfortable for him. Let's talk for a minute about what Pittsburgh's done, which is invest in the offensive line, which I think they correctly saw that that was what was holding the offense back. Mm-hmm. And then they brought back their top three wide receivers, added Allen Robinson for a chocolate chip cookie, 
and turned around and didn't touch the running back and tight end rooms that were seen as pretty doggone good. I don't know how many number one star at their position in the league this team has or second guy or third guy at their position, but I'm not seeing a whole lot of weak links among people that are actually going to get on the field. I want to add too, though, they also added Darnell Washington at tight end. So along with the offensive line, Washington is the best blocker in, amongst the tight ends in the draft class. And I think that's going to help Pickett's uh, crutch because they can lean on that run game, especially Broderick Jones is a good blocker, Darnell Washington as your number two tight end. Because Fryermuth is a really good cast catcher, but he's also a really good blocker too. He's like a baby Kittle more than a baby Kelsey type. And I think that they did a lot that they could just bulldoze their way through and then do a lot of play action if they're smart about it. I also want to add too another good addition is they got rid of Chase Claypool for a pseudo first rounder. And apparently there's buzz that he might not even make the Bears roster and they basically got a first round draft pick for him. So, I mean, that's just like, if you think that the TJ Hawkinson trade was highway robbery, I like a lot of what the Bears did, but oh my God, the Claypool pick trade is looking so much worse right now. Aging like milk on a Florida porch. Nice. Milk was a bad choice. Yeah. Do you have any I'm thoughts, quite... Tony, on the, on the uh, Steelers, what they're doing to help pick it out? So, yeah, I mean, the Claypool thing, like you said, was it's incredible. It's it's really honestly hard to believe that somebody with that much talent is is <laughs> Maple playing Trump. that poorly in two different stops now. Like, it wasn't just a change of scenery. This guy's clearly a head case. That's an issue. It's unfortunate uh, that Chicago is the bearer of that bad news. Uh, but, you know. Nice word choice. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, like you said earlier, it's hard because the team has done not very much this offseason, but yet was so good anyway, there wasn't a lot of things to tweak, right? It was it was really just get get a few spots better. And just at a high level, they remind me of their cross state rivals, Philly, but a couple of years later. And actually Detroit's kind of similar where they were in a complete rebuild last year. Roethlisberger retired. They brought in Trubisky to start, which is a... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm trying not to vomit. <laughs> which is a cry for help. Yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> pick it in the first round when no other quarterback was in this draft until the third round of that draft. And there was a lot of talk like, um, Tomlin's going to lose his uh, winning record streak, right? And they ended up backdooring it into nine and eight. But I also think that in a rebuild, they're being slept on because I do think they're better than people think, especially because when you just look at the quarterbacks, you mentioned, but the hater in me goes, but I think they also overachieved a little bit to get that nine wins. I, I feel like Detroit and Pittsburgh were both nine and eight, but I think Detroit started slower than they should have. And I think that we saw the real lions in the second half. Pittsburgh was also hot in the second half, but I feel like there might've been a little bit more, you know, sneaking up on people than the Lions had. I don't know. I'm, I don't want. I have nothing but inkling, it's impossible but, to sneak up on someone more than the second half Lions did. I'm sorry. Well, fair. I'm a lump. But, <laughs> but my, my my I guess my thing is that I still like the Steelers what they're doing. I like the trajectory, but I think they're a year off. I think that if they can get to eight or nine wins this year, despite looking like they're treading water or taking a step backwards. I still think that's a win. I think that they put themselves in position to springboard next year. I just think that they 
were ahead of schedule last year. So I don't want to knock them if they don't progress forward because everyone wants them to go forward. That's the quickest way to get fired as a coach or GM is have high expectations going into the season, which, you know, I don't know what their expectations are, but usually if you win nine games, fans want you to win 10 or 12, you know? Well, that's about where Vegas has the over under for Pittsburgh at eight and a half. So lower than last year. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's less than where the number of wins they had last year. There might have been some overachieving involved. I think a lot of that has to do with uh, their coaching. But you have to remember also that T.J. Watt missed half the season. Mm. And that was the reason why Pittsburgh wasn't a top-end sack team for 2022 for the first time in like four or five years. Mm -hmm. If T.J. Watt can actually stay healthy... This looks like a very, very good defense, if not from a fantasy perspective, then the more important NFL perspective. That plus the offensive line that really was the weakness. And this is a team that can take a step forward, but I do feel like their upside is limited this year. They're going to top out best case scenario at about 10 wins. Yeah. Especially because look at their division. Yeah, their best case scenario to, to win a lot is if one of the quarterbacks in the division goes down early and that team becomes a shell of itself. It's not to be knock on Pittsburgh, but I just think that uh, they are in a really tough division and it's going to be tough to overcome. What's your take? Because, you know, the defense, they still have Cameron Hayward there. You know, they lost, uh, you know, Sutton and Miles Jack and Devin Bush, but Jack and Bush, I don't think ever really panned out. So I don't even think those are really big losses, to be honest. So I think the defense will probably keep on trucking along, especially if they get TJ Watt fully healthy for the whole year. And by the way, there's still some good edge rushers available. Pittsburgh probably land one of them. But I'm still with you. I think that they're kind of just middle of the road. In fact, um, when we get to their over-under, I'm kind of curious what your take is on it. Because I think... I sound higher on the Pittsburgh because I think they are a great fantasy football by low where they are just suppressed in value, most of their players. But I'm not sure if that necessarily translates to a 10 win team when they Deontay Johnson goes from the 40th receiver back to like 15 or something, you know. I kind of disagree about the Devin Bushing. I think he was a pretty integral part to that defense. I think he was he's a very good middle linebacker stand out like he he runs a defense and I think he he actually he brought a lot to that defense I think it's going to be a difficult position to replace but again when the whole team around him is good it brings up his level of play and and it might be easier to backfill that being said a kind of similar sentiment in that the three other teams in that division are it's just kind of brutal we don't know what Deshaun Watson you'll get this season however I think he comes to form, and I think that just is another, you know, you, you already have Burrow, you already have Lamar Jackson, and now you're throwing Deshaun Watson in there. It's like, you, it's just an uphill battle, and and that's where it's like, it's really hard to pick an over-under on that. But I do think, again, the team is good, the core is good, the, the, the way they're building is the correct way. It's just going to be, it, it could be brutal, but I would have thought that last year too, and look what happened, so. Yeah, I just want to point out that you talk about Deshaun Watson. The last time we saw him play a full season in Houston, he was a top five quarterback in the NFL, arguably the top four. And if you have him, Burrow, and Lamar Jackson, Pickett could be the seventh best quarterback in the league next year and still be the worst player quarterback in that division. So that's By what far. we're talking about overcoming. Exactly. 
And not to step on next, you know, future weeks, I actually really am much higher on Cleveland's rebound next year than uh, Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh is fine, but I, I mean, I guess I'll start with my over under. If you want to move on to that segment for the predictions, I think at eight and a half wins, this is going to be blasphemy, but I, I'm not going to bet against Tomlin. I'm going to say nine again, exactly. Just, just keeps the streak going. But I wouldn't be surprised if they win seven or eight. But I wouldn't call it a lost season if they win seven or eight, in my opinion. I wouldn't call it for panic. Uh, Tony, do you have a take on uh, what you think? Yeah, I, I, I think you, <laughs> you basically stole my thunder about the nine wins. It's like death taxes and Tomlin, Tomlin. being mediocrity. Um, but nine wins is is a very. I mean, again, I would never have thought they would have got there this year, and somehow they pulled it off. So again, Incredible. you can't count them out. You cannot discredit it. And and you know, um, uh, again, like I said, I do believe that Cleveland is well on their way. I know you've said that on a few other podcasts in the past, and I and I agree with you on that. I do think I think the final piece was the Deshaun Watson, but uh, but who knows if he gets injured, Lamar Jackson gets injured, God forbid, Joe Burrow goes down again. This can change quickly, so you really can't. We've literally can't seen all three of those guys miss large portions of their seasons the last two years, including yep. Burrow miss half his yep. rookie year. Yeah. And before we get to you, Joe, I do want to add the coaching element. Is Tomlin the best quarterback coach in the league? Because, I mean, think about this. He got a winning season with Trubisky rookie picket, right, last year. And then you go back to what he had to deal with with Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and all this other stuff. And, I mean, I think he's won Super Bowls, but he's become an underrated coach because he hasn't won a Super Bowl in a while. But I actually think he's done a better job coaching the non-Super Bowl teams than he did when he won the Super Bowl. Controversial opinion, maybe. I don't know. What'd you guys take on Tomlin? I think that is super valid. When you're talking about Tomlin, you have, you're talking about not just one of the best coaches in the NFL. You're talking about an all-time great because he has that sort of Bill Jackson ability to massage egos and get super duper elite athletic people that are nuttier than squirrel poo to actually buckle down and get what they're supposed to to do here. So, yeah, I think it's huge that the Steelers lost Cam Sutton and Devin Bush. Those are gigantic pieces that are probably going to hurt the back end of their defense. And with the quarterbacks in this division, that's a real problem. They did get Patrick Peterson to shore it up. They'll get a healthy TJ Watt to make sure that things are that they're hopefully uh, keeping things together on the on the front end of that pass rush. But boy, Mr. and Mrs. FanDuel live in a very nice house for a reason. And one of it is these over unders are right about right. I want to pick the under. But I'm going to go over by not much here uh, because I feel like Pittsburgh is the team that if one of their major skill guys goes down, they're the one team in this division that can handle it. If the Ravens lose Jackson, they're dead. If the Browns lose Watson, they're dead. If Burrow goes down, then the entire league office will break down in tears. But the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but if Pickett goes down or running back goes down or receiver goes down or TJ Watt goes down, unless they all go down, there's just so many pieces that they're not going to be awful. 
I mean, if you had Jalen Warren getting the ball handed off by Mitchell Trubisky in the Trubisky train, woo woo, with Allen Robinson and like Calvin Austin and Darnell Washington as a skill position, that's still okay. That's like all backups, in my opinion. That's a really great point. You know, I just wanted to touch one more minute on the on the Tomlin thing. It's like you don't become a head coach in the NFL for 16 or 17, whatever season it's been, being bad. Or I made the joke about mediocrity. But for real, like he's had some teams that didn't have a ton of talent and still trucked on to mediocrity, right? So that's a, a testament to, to keeping that, well, we'll call it the Trubisky train rolling, right? I mean, like... <laughs> Um, you know, just doing a really good job. And, and that's why going back, you know, that's that's the true coaching chops that I think uh, gets uh, forgot a lot, right? Yeah, let's not forget he preserved Chase Claypool's value enough to get a 30-second overall pick of the draft last year to flip. And that dude hasn't even made it through OTAs without getting bad butts in Chicago. <laughs> Sorry to bring this back, but like that's more back to Tomlin in my opinion. So Yeah, I agree. Tony, are you over or under eight and a half? I'm over. I'm at, the, I, like I said, Ryan sold my thunder with nine. I can't bet against him. It's hard to say more just because of the division, but I, I can't bet against him. So real quick. So if they were in a different division, like the AFC South, I think we'd all maybe pick 10 wins, right? And 13. Third, okay. But then <laughs> if this was the, if, but if they were the AFC North, but without Mike Tomlin as the coach, I would, I think it would be a slap dunk under. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like that's what's crazy about this team because yeah. if they were in a different division, you could see them being a, a bye week contender, and if they had a different coach, you could see them being a contender for a top five pick. It's crazy, mm-hmm. you know. So I think eight and a half is pretty good, but I think uh, depth and coaching will probably buy them a couple extra wins. So even though I think they're a seven and eight win team, I think they get to nine. I think we're all in unanimous for that. Great coverage, but that's all the time we have today for the Midwest Football Podcast. Tony, thank you for joining us. You've been a great guest. You got anything that you want to say as we uh, get ready to sign off here? The floor is yours. Yeah, you know, honestly, this is pretty cool. It's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty cool honor just to be the first guest on this. It's because uh, like I've listened to all of them. I've really enjoyed it, and it was really fun. And uh, if you ever need uh, another battered Lions fan take again sometime, let me know. <laughs> Otherwise, that's uh, that's all I got, guys. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you again, Tony. Uh, we also want to thank all of our listeners here at the Midwest Football Podcast. We really appreciate all of the time that you spend listening with us, and we are honored that you choose to do so every time you hit that download button or the play button and get uh, to listen to some of our takes on what's going on in the world of the NFL in the heart of it all here in the Midwest. I also want to thank, as always, Chris Brandley for doing all of our logos. He's amazing. I want to thank our resident musician, uh, Raymond, for our theme song, Running Home, off of his album, uh, Call to Me. He'll be, And that's available anywhere digital music is sold or downloaded. But it is time to take it into the locker room here in the fifth quarter. So until next time when we will be discussing the Packers with our next guest and Bengals, we will see you later. I miss you already. 